The CMO role is one of the more challenging roles for sure. The role requires a balance. That balance is important, like everything in life. Balance is important. It leads to good outcomes. This is the podcast where we go around the globe to interview marketing leaders from the world's biggest brands, fastest growing companies, and most disruptive startups. Great ideas packaged a certain way want to spread. They want to be told to someone else. This is simple, surprising, and significant. Unlocking viral creativity is to make it rapidly scalable. This is Top CMO with me, Ben Kaplan. Today, I'm speaking with Carl Vandenberg, CMO of Gigamon, a cybersecurity leader with a focus on deep observability. That's the technical term for looking at network security from the outside in. Carl has a wealth of tech experience having worked for companies like Datastax and Tibco. So how do you manage a marketing mix in a downturn? Are there lessons from the pandemic that you can apply to a potential recession? How do you balance short-term results with longer-term thinking? Let's find out with Carl Vanderberg. Carl, how do you balance the short-term and the long-term as a CMO. And I think in our discussion, we'll see how that has implications all throughout different decisions we make at various inflection points of a company's life cycle. Yeah, great question, Ben. And uh, great to be here with you and uh, speaking to you and your audience. So it's a great question. And um, the uh, marketing has evolved a lot over the years. And uh, one thing I think we can say that's true, irrespective of the type of marketer you are or the company you're in, organization you're in is that it's become more and more measurable. And that's good and bad. I'd say the good is that uh, we can attach more easily the value to the outcomes of marketing. I think that's something that has been more of an art than the science prior. And now with all the data we have, it's become very clear, you know, or it's, it's easier to measure that output. So that's a good. The bad is that sometimes those metrics and that output, particularly, you know, what is the re- quotes, return on investment for marketing um, uh, can become the overarching or overriding measure, which can, if not done properly, can lead short-term thinking. And so as a simple example, you know, it might be that you are looking for the shortest path to a return from marketing investment, and um, that would lead you to you know, investing more in demand and maybe in the easiest demand uh, motion out there, which would be um, going after your customer base. Whereas what might be important and strategic to the organization is to make sure that your brand and and the awareness associated with that is growing. And so that's the sort of dilemma that you can fall into from a short-term versus a long-term uh, thinking perspective. And it is important as marketers and marketing leaders that we figure out what's the right balance between those two. There's a couple of things there. One is that what you set as that final metric can influence how you even approach the problem. So that setting the right metric is important, regardless of what it is. And two, if you set the metric in a certain way, and in particular, if ROI, return on investment, which makes sense why we'd want it, because we can see there's a one-to-one correlation between I put this in, I get this out, I can justify it. If you're in business, it's a money-making machine. We put in X, we get out Y, we're making money, therefore we can do it infinitely. 
The problem with that is it could start to replace strategy. And why does that come to dominate strategy? How does that, if you're not careful, start to influence all of your strategic thinking? Marketing, and I often you know, say that marketing and the role of the CMO is one of the more complex. I have a ratio, which I use, which is complexity to appreciation. I think as, as an executive, marketing has, and the marketing leaders have one of the highest complexity appreciation ratios in terms of like recognition and in terms of understanding. So when you think about marketing, getting back to kind of your question is like, there's definitely a very data intense centric component. Um, there's a technology stack. There is, you know, psychographics and understanding your audience. There is aesthetics in terms of, you know, brand and how you appear in the market. There are so many strategic, obviously, choices that you make and operational. So when you think of the breadth of marketing today, it's an incredibly complex function and, and CMO is an incredibly complex role. And yet the recognition and understanding of how marketing works because it has evolved so rapidly and so much over the last few years is still low. And so one of the biggest roles of a CMO is actually in that communication and evangelization of the function, the communication uh, and education, I would say, of the executive team, the rest of the organization and the board. So back to your question, you know, can the metrics jeopardize, you know, strategic thinking? And they absolutely can. So you, you said it well, you know, the metric in some ways will determine your focus. So. Uh, it's about framing the problem correctly. First of all, you need to understand what is it that you're ultimately trying to achieve as an organization and really getting clear on those objectives. And so, you know, what, what is most important? Is it most important that, um, you know, we, we get the most out of our customer base? Is it important that we grow market share or grow uh, share of wallet? What are the, what are the ultimate objectives of the organization that will then determine strategically? So. Number one, that will then determine what are the right metrics. And once you have the right metrics, then you can set about, you know, what is the right strategy. And so, or the, the right approach to, to achieve those, those metrics and those objectives. Or put another way, it's not just this tension between strategy and metrics, but there's this other part that you mentioned, which is objectives. Metrics measure how fast we're climbing the wall strategy, but also influenced by objective determines is the ladder up against the right wall to begin with. Right. And the problem is that if we just focus on essentially what is the most direct way to measure how fast we're climbing the ladder, and that's ROI, do we just forget to think about if the ladder's on the right wall at all? And yes, we're climbing, but we're climbing to get to a two-story building and we could be climbing to get to a 10-story building, but we're just not going to see that because it's easier to get to the two-story building. Yeah. And it's also, I think that the challenge, um, and I don't think anyone will get tired of us talking about metrics because it is so front and center uh, of the CMO conversation. I think the challenge sometimes with the metrics is that there are certain metrics that are easier to measure. In other words, it is easier to know that if you do a demand program and that you get a lead and it turns into an opportunity and a deal, that's clear. It is harder to know if you are you know, building a brand, what is the impact of the bottom line? And so the tendency can be, especially when budgets are tight, is to gravitate to the things that are easier to sort of draw the line between the investment and the return than things that are harder to measure. But it doesn't mean that they're less strategic. 
And that and that's kind of the dilemma, right? Is that you can, unless you've got a back to the education, unless you you've brought your board and your executive team and the company along and understanding and appreciation appreciating the importance of say building that brand, building the awareness, building a relationship or building a community, then when push comes to shove, it's going to be hard to defend that spend because it's harder to show the direct correlation to the bottom line. Just to play devil's advocate here for a second, some people listening to this may be saying, yes, I would love to not be so ROI driven, but we're in a downturn. Budgets are being cut. The future is uncertain. I'm seeing layoffs across the sector. Inflation's up. We came out of the pandemic and now we've got an economic crisis that everyone says is about to happen and I've got to be conservative. What do you say to that where the natural tendency is, I got to account for every dollar. Dollars are getting harder to come by. So let's get really, really focused on ROI out of necessity. It's a balance, back to what we said earlier. It is a balance between the, the, the short-term, long-term, between the tactical and strategic, between what's you know very easily measurable and what's harder to measure. So how do you strike that balance? First of all, it is back to what are you trying to, what strategy are you going to try to do? Understanding the realities of the market today. So we are headed into, and some would say we're already in a recession. So budgets are tighter. There is you know concern out there. Uh, and and so people are being more conservative in their spending. That's that's a reality, and we've got to deal with that reality. Now, given that reality, and like anything, one of my favorite books is Ryan Holiday's "The Obstacle Is the Way." So it's looking at an obstacle or a challenge and saying, "What can we? How can we turn this around? How can we turn this into an opportunity?" So knowing that most people are going to be cutting back. Is this an opportunity for us to figure out a way to make sure that we don't over-index on cutting back marketing and keep the budgets right to where we can so that we are growing our mind share in the market because everyone else is pulling back and spend. So this is potentially an opportunity for us to become more present because there's going to be less noise in the market. Now, doesn't mean that's going to be easy and there's got to be a plan behind it. So. How are you planning to achieve that? What are you going to do with the money? It doesn't mean that you're going to be reckless. But one of the ways that I would say, and we could talk about you know this in more detail, I'll give a headline. One of the things I would be looking to do as we head into the downturn is how do I how do I leverage the relationships I have in the market? That is obviously customers, that is channel or resale partners, that is a community, that is influencers that I have a connection to. Because that is one of the, in my in my view, one of the most efficient ways to quote, spend your money is leveraging the relationships because that's where people are looking. They're looking to the industry luminaries or to their peers or to a community for information. And so that would be one of the things that I would look to invest in that may not produce that immediate obvious ROI, but strategically and long-term will absolutely build your presence in the market. The little secret here is that there's power in predictability. If you can make a forecast, update others on your progress, and then report results that match what you predicted, that builds trust. And that trust follows you to your next initiative, your next project, your next program, your next campaign. So 
seek to find marketing opportunities that you can make predictable and you will build trust that can increase your influence in all the things to come after that. One of the things that is underrated about a downturn, especially if you are not the market leader currently, it tends to mix things up. It changes the order. There's a lot of rooms to get shift. You can do what take five years in a year because there's just a lot of disorder, disruption, and no one wants to do. A stable base kind of tends to favor the status quo. A disruptive base tends to favor the challenger. We did some analysis and some research looking at after the 2008-2009 financial downturn, who are the companies that won in the next 10 years? What did they do? And usually it was that they invested in three things and depending on the industry in different ways. One was actually marketing. They took a longer term view. To your point, they saw it as opportunity. Two, was research and development. They actually invested more in research and development. There was a time for innovation. The market was disrupted anyway. We can actually play a slightly longer game as we look for what's next. And three was infrastructure. There are some interesting companies that were more manufacturing-based companies that invested in plants, invested in manufacturing. They could get it at a bargain. They did that and that fueled their growth. So what do you think are possible drivers right now is if you look at the marketing mix or beyond, you mentioned one, which is relationships, either investing in them or harvesting them. It doesn't need to like cost you a lot to set into motion that partnership you've cultivated for a couple of years and now say, let's come together in these times to do something else. What else should be part of that marketing mix? I think it starts with what, whatever the, the mix, I'll get to in a minute, but whatever you're doing, it starts with your message to the market. You know, understanding what is it that your customers or the, the prospects or the market that you're targeting, what are their care about? And yes, that's true anytime, but I'd say especially true in a downturn where they're going to be, they're going to have some very clear priorities. What are, what are the things that they're going to care about? In, in the case of Gigamon, where I am right now, I know that our customers care uh, as most well about cost efficiencies uh, for sure. And uh, they will continue to care about hybrid multi-cloud security because that's not going away. Tackers are going to take a break just because it's an, it has an economic downturn. So it's like understanding your audience, where they are and making sure that your offering and the way you position your offering really hits home in their top priorities. And, and you know, we're lucky enough that that's clearly the case. The second one is in terms of the message, how you communicate, it's being empathetic to what they're dealing with. So I think the language we use and how we communicate is also really important. And that was one of the lessons we took away from the pandemic um, is that you've got to be sensitive to where people are and coming across as too marketing -y, in a challenging time actually backfires, right? And so we actually, we, we moved away from, you know, talking about our, our, our great product to really trying to reach our audience and to say how, you know, ask how we could help. Empathy, you don't hear that a lot in cybersecurity, not necessarily meant to be your like most empathetic industry. So what is an example of that? Is it just simply putting yourself in their shoes and trying to serve them first, then serve yourself and making sure that's clear? Or is it something beyond that of how in like a really technical kind of hardcore field with lots of dangers and fear in the world that you can be empathetic? It's a great question, Ben. I mean, it really is. And this is taking the long-term view is that if you take the long-term view that Genuinely, the belief is that if you are really going to try and help, that you will get, you know, given you shall receive. <laughs> but if you really are there trying to help, that, you know, at some point, 
that will come back to you. And so part of it is, I said, in how you communicate. And so we, we are very empathetic to our security audience and say uh, uh, one of our key messages was recognizing SOC burnout, security operations burnout, which is real. They're understaffed, they're overworked, and it's a high pressure job. And so really trying to recognize and appreciate the tough job that they have and, and, and basically say, like, we're here to try and help and we have different ways that we can do that. But that's our concern right now is there's severe burnout and the problem's not going away. And so I think that's the, the big one. And I, I'd say it's, it's, it's building, you can't do that unless you're authentic. Because people will know when you're doing it as a ruse to, to get them, ultimately. And so you've got to figure out how can you do that in an authentic way. And I say it goes back to the, what we said earlier in the conversation. It is establishing the relationship with your, with your community. It's giving back to the community, whatever it is, help, free software, uh, free training, you know, things that, uh, that, that you may have charged for in the past to build that relationship. And again, being true to who you are and what you represent in the market, uh, I think is the other way that people can appreciate who you are, trust you, and then uh, then you have an opportunity to, I said, to to kind of step in with them in their situation, be empathetic. Maybe in this situation, your objective, I mean, if it's purely ROI, you're like, how can I extract as much US or foreign currency from my client base at this time so that I don't miss my number. The return on objective, your objective might be in this difficult time, we are in the business of making our customers successful. And we do whatever it takes to do that because that's just how we're oriented and we'll do great business when our customers are successful and we're here in it with you. And if that is your objective, then maybe you measure that a little bit differently. Maybe that takes a slightly longer term view. Maybe you're more empathetic. And maybe that is a balancing factor with, of course, the ROI that you also have to meet as well. Yeah, absolutely agree. The sort of the the getting clear on the, you know, what are the objectives that you care about and, and making sure, again, the organization starting with the executives and the board are aligned around those objectives doesn't mean it can't be measured, right? So I, I think that's the thing that sort of return on objective is just that is there is a way to measure how you're progressing against the objective. It just doesn't immediately tie to the bottom line like an ROI does. And I think that's where people can get caught up is because back to what I said earlier, is there are certain things that are easier to correlate with the bottom line and people tend to gravitate towards those when budgets are tight and that can lead to short-term thinking. And so it is part of our job as CMOs and as marketing leaders to make sure that we're helping the organization think through the long-term strategic so that, as you said, in the case of those companies that you interviewed or, or researched, they come out stronger from challenging times because you can only do that if you take the long-term view. If you take the short-term tactical view, you will make short-term tactical decisions and you will not come out stronger from this uh, economic crisis. If in doubt, seek to understand and even empathize with your customer's needs. If you can do that, you can fine tune your tactics, your strategies to better serve them. And in a challenging climate, in a downturn, in a potential recession, by focusing on your customer, by delivering value to your customer, you can often navigate those difficult challenges 
and find a North Star to stay the course and head where you need to go. Part of what makes a CMO different from just the head of marketing, SVP of marketing, global top marketing person, is that there's some appreciation for you're part of the executive team of the company at its highest level. So you're bringing your discipline expertise, but you're also helping navigate the overall direction of the company too, as part of the C-suite. One of the skills maybe underrated is rallying other members of the C-suite to your point of view, or long-term thinking, and the CFO may have different things he or she is measuring than you, and that may want him or her to push you towards ROI. The CEO may have a different point of view and so forth down the line. So how do you rally people to that way of thinking when certainly it's more convenient? Sometimes it's easier to measure if we all just like agree on ROI. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I said, it is one, in my view, one of the CMO's primary responsibilities is to bring the executive team and the board along this journey that marketing has been on for a number of years on the transformation of marketing, um, in some ways accelerated by, by the pandemic and, and now being tested again in the economic downturn. And so, um, I think part of it is, first of all, where appropriate, uh, certainly explaining the measurement system and educating on the measurement system and showing predictable results because that builds trust, right? At Gigamon, we went on this journey where I started operating marketing more like sales. And I did it because um, it was an easier metaphor or approach or model for most of the executive team and the board to understand. That is that we have a target, I present or we present a forecast and we built a pretty innovative forecasting model, you know, monthly check-ins on where we are against our forecasts and our results. And these results are top to bottom and, and everything in between. And so building that kind of just like sales, you've got a target, you got a quota, you've got your forecast, and then you got your, your results, building that uh, and educating on how we were measuring and getting everybody aligned around the validity in some ways taking, taking that out. So that was a third party that was measuring. It wasn't marketing reporting on itself. Um, all of that built credibility. So having that credibility then in how we're operating our business and we're operating it efficiently, then allowed us to have the conversation about the strategic longer term where it is less measurable, at least from an ROI perspective. Um, but presenting again, what are the right metrics to measure this, the objectives and progress against the objectives? And so I think it is, again, putting yourselves in the shoes of the other executives and what they care about and what's important to them and how they think. And at least from you know my experience at Gigamon, operating more like the sales model in terms of how we report on our business has been helpful in building that trust and understanding that has then allowed me to have these more strategic conversations. How would you think about the lessons from the pandemic? You executed a pivot in the pandemic, but how does that inform you now as we get to this new phase, which is not primarily pandemic sort of led, but more downturn or recession led as well? What do you take from sort of the struggles of the past two years that you apply to the next two years? Looking at your, your marketing mix 
and understanding the right mix to reach your your audience and how that continues to evolve. We obviously moved into a completely virtual world and we're moving back to now to a hybrid world and we're still learning. Um, and you know, there's been some good innovation, um, but there's still more efficiencies, I think, to be gotten out of that. So how what's the right marketing mix for your target audience, for your industry, for your offering? Back to what we talked about earlier, it really is learning to be empathetic to your audience and where they are. And so in, in, in the message and how you communicate, I think that's key and building that trust and building that trust through the relationships that you have uh, with your customers, partners, community, ecosystem. Because at the end of the day, that is, and the world is moving that direction, more and more of marketing, in my view, going forward will be word of mouth. It will be through a trusted, because we know that the buyer today, more and more of the B2B managers and employees are millennials, candidly prefer not to talk to a vendor. Uh, we've seen that in our data. They're okay to do a chat on a chatbot, but they're reluctant to ter- talk to a salesperson unless, you know, un- until it comes to the absolute must time. So they prefer to do their research online. It's been there, you know, pre-pandemic, I think it accelerated in the pandemic. More and more of that buyer journey is online. And where do they go? They go to their trusted sources. That is peer site reviews, community, you know, folks who will quotes talk independently, objectively about the offering and the company. And so I think investing in that, that word of mouth is going to be incredibly important going forward because as I said, that's the way modern marketing is going. If you're facing reduced marketing budgets, one of the first things you can do is ask yourself, what are the relationships that I can leverage? Do I have relationships with industry partners? Do I have relationships with adjacent industries? Are there other entities, individuals, organizations that I can help amplify and they can help amplify us? Relationships rarely have huge price tags. If you can leverage relationships, you can actually advance marketing objectives, even during a marketing shortfall or a downturn. In the relationships between tactics and strategies, and typically we have a strategy, it leads to a tactic to implement the strategy. But in times of turmoil or downturn, sometimes we can go the other direction from a tactic that we abstract into a greater strategy. And I'll give you an example. A lot of B2B companies have in-personing marketing components that are built on trade shows, conferences, relationships, meeting people in person. Maybe that channel is disrupted. If it was in the pandemic, there's less face-to-face interaction. So we need a strategy to continue to cultivate those relationships because that's a driver of our business. Just the tactic may change. It might not be quite the same effort and spend to your marketing mix point on trade show channel, but that doesn't replace the need for the relationships because relationships drive our business. We've just got to do it a different way tactically. Yeah. I would say that the, the relationship became even more important during the pandemic. And so it was the way that though you nurtured and grew that relationship. In our case, it's a complex B2B technology infrastructure. And we wanted to take the buying experience as much as we could online. So we thought about, you know, the way that buyers used to buy cars, go into your showroom and, you know, look at the cars. And now more and more of that you can do online. You can kind of customize your card. You can kind of take it for a drive nearly online. And so we did that with, that was one of the innovations for us anyway, that we did because we're not a, you know, an online application. Uh, we're, we're a physical piece of hardware uh, with cloud, you know, cloud software now, but 
we we brought that experience online. So it was one way to get closer to our buyer uh, without having to meet them in person. So that's an example of kind of building on that relationship. I think this notion of innovation and that being one of your innovations that you've done is that it's also underrated that scarcity, whether that's money, whether that's customers, whether that's leads is a driver of innovation. You have to figure out another way and that there's not too many companies that are rich, fat, happy market leaders that are super innovative. They don't have to be. They just have to reap their harvest. So looking for ways to do that and to the point about our obstacles, opportunities could be really powerful. How much of your ability to see that is based on your background? If I was going to summarize it, it's not a traditional CMO background. You've had experience in product as a general manager in M&A. How does that give you a different viewpoint or perspective that might make you see more of those opportunities instead of obstacles? It's a good question. I hadn't really thought about you know, how my background might play into it. I think back to one of our earlier points of conversation, I think my background certainly helps in my putting myself in the shoes of the other executives and what they care about. Uh, that for sure has helped there. In terms of innovation, I really do love this idea of like turning obstacles into opportunities. I, I think it's it's fascinating because you know it's all about the growth mindset. Uh, if you're familiar with growth first the fixed mindset and sort of back to what we said earlier, how do you reframe a problem and think think it through? I think that that's kind of the beginning of it. Like, how do you think about the problem differently uh, that can lead to these innovations? And so certainly, certainly having a technical uh, background and and then a general manager thinking about PNL um, does allow me to look at the problem maybe in a multi-dimensional way. Maybe that's part of it, but also, you know, I've got to credit a great team of great marketers, in my case, uh, Gigamon, uh, that helped drive some of this innovation for the company. And looking back at your background, I mean, you have this multifaceted background. Uh, you've also worked with some companies, generally technology companies, software companies, but they've had some unique challenges and opportunities based on where they were in the ecosystem. I'd love to ask you about some of those and what you take with you to your work with Gigamon today. So first, we could start out with some of the open source based companies that were commercializing products based on that. I'm talking about a Jaspersoft or a Datastax that were based on that. What do you take now, even though you're not at a company like that at the moment? How does that sense of knowledge and community influence you now? One of the things that we took directly to Gigamon from those companies was community. And so uh, we were, you know, enterprise B2B. There was no open source component to what we did. And there isn't today either. However, the importance of building community around our offering uh, was something that uh, that we started here at Gigamon a, a few years ago. And that community has grown quite substantially uh, since we put it in place. And I said, it's become kind of the trusted source for both our customers as well as prospects who go and ask questions and get answers and, and kind of get a sense of of the offering, the company, its values, and how responsive it is. So that was one for sure that I took away from it. I think the other is ultimately what is going to win you a customer base and market share is providing a great solution to customers' problems. And so, um, you know, in the open source world, it is very much, you know, the way these projects start, it's, it's a piece of technology that does something uh, and it's kind of thrown out there and, and it, sometimes it grows, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but ultimately, the successful companies that come at that figure out how to build 
a you know solution to a critical customer problem. And that involves just more than technology, but everything that you wrap around it from the documentation to the services, to the support, uh, to the customer success. And, and so really taking a solution focus uh, to helping our customers, in our case now, getting their arms around security and compliance in the hybrid and multi-cloud, which is a journey they're all on and they're all trying to figure out. Um, is is kind of where we're really focused as is helping them in that really challenging journey. So solution focus and community based approach. And what do you take from the other side of the coin in your background, which is the companies that were based on enterprise sales, whether that's certainly back further in your career, the SAPs of the world, TIBCO, you're at another company oriented towards that now. How are you more efficient or effective in your role now than you were when you were newer in that type of role? I think it is at the, I would say the collaboration at the executive level. If any organization today operates as siloed functions, um, you know, they're not going to be successful. And so we have a very strong culture at Gigamon, we call the one Gigamon culture, um, or a franchise approach where it is very much a it's a team, especially on the go-to-market sales, marketing channel, uh, that are operating together with a common objective. And so having that very tight alignment, common, shared goals, very clear and open and authentic communication, I think that is is probably one of the things that certainly I have put a lot more emphasis on and I believe you know matured towards is that cross-functional peer-to-peer collaboration at the executive level. That would be certainly one of them. Um, I think the other is sort of being efficient, being efficient from a marketing perspective. So this conversation we started around ROI is being as efficient and as accountable as possible with the money that we were given. And so the way that I talk back to the franchise, the way I talk to our my, my sales counterparts around marketing is, we are the stewards of the investment on your behalf. So we are the experts. We kind of know, you know, what works and what doesn't. And, you know, we're willing obviously to take a perspective on it, but we're kind of the stewards of that investment on your behalf. And, um, and so we try to be as efficient as possible. And they understand that we get measured on outcomes. And so we get, once you get them in part of that process, then they're engaged and they are they have skin in the game because they know that you are doing this on their behalf. Uh, and so getting very efficient um, and accountable with your investment is another thing that I believe is, is something that I've picked up or I've evolved since my time at SAP and TIPCO. And so you've got to stay focused on the long term, but you can't ignore the short term. You've got to be empathetic to your customer, but you can't forget other colleagues and your executives and your board. You've got to be strategic, yet you've got to be tactical. Is this just an impossible job? How do you do all of those things? Who are the CMOs that you admire and how does one do this job when there's so many conflicting priorities and considerations? Yeah, the CMO role is, as I said, I've, I've had the benefit of of running other functions so I can have a outsider perspective is one of the more challenging roles for sure. I think it's got a, I have a ratio, we talked about it earlier, 
sort of complexity to appreciation ratio, which is, you know, it's a very complex role, but not well necessarily recognized or, or understood. And so to your point, I think the role requires a balance. And that balance is important, like everything in life. Balance is, is important. It leads to good outcomes. And so the balance between the long-term, the short-term, strategic, tactical, are things that a CMO needs to uh, manage every day. And at the same time, I, would, I think it is a very interesting role. I think it's a role that can be very, very rewarding because it's a tip of the spear of many companies creating new markets as we're doing right now at Gigamon with deep observability could be a very interesting and challenging journey to go on. And so, you know, HBR wrote an article that there's no one type of CMO. There's like maybe three, three flavors of CMOs. And that may be true, depending on the life cycle of the company. And you got to know kind of what type of CMO you want, but whatever, you know, whatever type of CMO you are, I think that balance that we talked about is core. In terms of who I admire, I think I can talk about the sort of the, the marketing. Uh, I think there's all the great companies uh, that we we know and we love from a marketing perspective. What I love about them, um, and I'll say the obvious, Apple is the uh, sort of the clarity of what they represent. And this is one company that has continued to do well even in challenging times because they are obsessed about their customer and delivering in incredible product and doing it in a way that is very distinctive. If you think back to their Think Different campaign, they are very clear and they have a great message to the market. And so, look, Ben, I think these are going to be challenging times for CMOs, for marketers. And as you said, I think it will be important to find that balance for your organization in and helping them navigate and not lose sight of and think of yourself as a representative of the long-term, because I think that is in many ways, marketing is the counterbalance to the short-term tactical is to maintain that long-term focus. According to Carl Vandenberg, it's easy to get caught up in the metrics of the moment. So don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Find that delicate balance between meeting the immediate needs of the business and planning for the long-term. Stay laser-focused on your objectives, maybe, the objective is developing strong relationships. If in-person marketing tactics no longer are feasible, continue to build those relationships by developing other tactics. Downturns can also present opportunities. Mix things up, try new approaches. Sometimes as a CMO, the downturn is what you need to galvanize support to try something outside of the box. Build strong relationships with customers, partners, and other stakeholders. It's valuable in times of uncertainty and incredibly useful as you come out the other side. Find that sweet spot where you can survive the present, but continue to lay the foundation for the future. For Top CMO, I'm Ben Kaplan.